We are proud to announce WrestleCopia brand and the WrestleCopia Podcast Network, which you can find over at www.wrestlecopia.com. That's WrestleCopia.com, WrestleCopia.com. You may have heard me mention the WrestleCopia brand in passing on a variety of our shows. You might be asking, what is WrestleCopia? Well, the name derives from the words wrestle for wrestling and copia, which is defined as having plenty or an abundance of. It's abundance of wrestling history over at WrestleCopia.com as the podcast never continues to grow with a variety of podcasts. Everything from our show, The Wrestling Memory Grenade, where we take a trip down memory lane to wrestling history's past as we analyze and dissect complete years of wrestling history from your favorite promotions, to Monday Warfare, The Battles Within, an in-depth look and weekly breakdown of the entire Raw vs. Nitro War. TR Shocks the World, where host Tom Robinson makes his long-awaited return to the wrestling airwaves. Tom does everything from break down the current product to share inside stories and memories from years gone by. It's discretion advised as TR shocks the world with his strong opinions, hilarious impressions, and so much more. The WrestleCopia News Network is a special feature podcast. You can expect more late-breaking news, timely discussions, and tributes to the fallen legends on future episodes of WCNN. We've also got other podcasts being prepped for their debuts, including a territory-based show we like to call The Money and the Miles. There's an old saying in the world of professional wrestling that nothing in this business is real except the money made and the miles traveled. In this podcast, we discuss the territory era, with shows focusing on everything from show reviews to yearly breakdowns to episodes focusing on some of the rare, lesser-known territories and outlaw promotions of yesteryear. Stop on over to WrestleCopia.com for all the latest shows and follow us on Twitter, at WrestleCopia. That's on Twitter, at WrestleCopia, for all the latest news and information on the podcast network. Turn it on and rip the knob off. Welcome back to the Wrestling Memory Grenade. It's episode number 52. I'm your host, Ray Russell, and this week it's all about November of 1993 in the WWF. More specifically, all about the first three weeks of November heading into the 1993 Survivor Series. And we've got a loaded show for you today, guys. Only three weeks of TV, but that does include the USA special, the Survivor Series Showdown. And lots of news and notes, two particularly lengthy bits of news. So uh, for those who know what I'm talking about, we'll get into it in just a minute. For those who don't, strap in tight and I'll get you there in just a few. As I will try to get things going as quickly as possible. But first, I must let everyone know that you can listen to the Wrestling Memory Grenade and all of our sister shows as part of the WrestleCopia podcast network over at WrestleCopia.com. You can listen to The Grenade, Monday Warfare, The Battles Within, TR Shocks the World with Tom Robinson and so much more over at WrestleCopia.com and all of your favorite podcast streaming apps from Apple, Spotify, Google, Pocket Cast, Overcast, Stitcher, TuneIn, Audible on Amazon, iHeartRadio, CastBox, Castro, Podbean, Radio Public, Breaker, Himalaya, Listen Notes, so many more, and also now on the Facebook app here in the United States under our RSS feed. 
We're everywhere, guys, and coming to YouTube soon. We just got to work out a few kinks there, a little extra editing to get the shows on YouTube, but we will definitely be there sooner rather than later. Another reminder, The Grenade, in fact, the entire WrestleCopia Podcast Network, we're looking for new co-hosts, guys. WrestleCopia looking for co-hosts for here on the Wrestling Memory Grenade, as well as Monday Warfare, The Battles Within, and so forth. We could be looking for you, full-time, part-time guest co-hosts from other shows. Come plug your show right here on the WrestleCopia Podcast Network. And we'll have some fun conversations in the process. It's all about creating new content for the listeners, the wrestling fans, just like you and me out there. So once again, if you're interested in being a part of the Wrestling Memory Grenade or Monday Warfare, the battles within, we might be looking for you. All you need is a microphone, the ability to use Skype Messenger, because that's how we communicate, and a little bit of free time to record the shows. That's all it takes, guys. So if you're interested, you can contact me, Ray Russell, about becoming a full-time co-host, a part-time co-host, even a guest co-host. If you have your own podcast somewhere else, you want to come on over and put together a few joint shows like the good people at Good Cop, Bad Cop Wrestling Podcast are planning to do in the near future here on the WrestleCopia Podcast Network. Once again, you guys can contact me, Ray Russell, at WrestleCopia at gmail.com. That's WrestleCopia at gmail.com. Or DM me on Twitter at wrestling grenade that's at r-a-s-s-l-i-n grenade and speaking of twitter you guys can follow us on twitter at wrestling grenade home of the free prize giveaway also follow and like us on facebook at facebook.com slash wrestling grenade be sure to follow us on twitter and facebook for your chance to enter and win all future free prize giveaways there will be more coming soon lots of rarities going all the way back to the 1950s some boxer wrestler magazines also, some other fun magazines from the 80s and 90s as well. Some autographed promo pics of the likes of Barry Windham, Hacksaw Duggan, Jeff Jarrett, Jeff Hardy, and so many more. Giving them away free. So follow now for your chance to win. It's that simple. And also a reminder, next week, the Survivor Series 93 Watch Along, I'll be announcing our very next free prize giveaway. So be sure to stay tuned for next week's edition of The Grenade and follow and follow and like us right now on Facebook and Twitter. Also, let's talk about our new YouTube channel over at youtube.com slash Grenade. I've been throwing videos up like a madman over there, guys. You can now find us out again on youtube.com slash Grenade. Added tons of new videos, not only WWF 1993, but also the USWA versus WWF. There's lots of NWA 89 on there, too, for fans of that era. And who isn't? New content added every week including some new rarities I just added over the past week, including a very rare November episode of WWF Spotlight. It features Gorilla Monsoon in Master Control. You guys may know that better as the, the Mania area, where Todd Pettengill hosts the Mania show. Gorilla Monsoon hosting Spotlight from the Mania set, if you will. But a familiar friend, or maybe, maybe not a friend, but Bobby Heenan shows up. He's perhaps stealing some film out of the film room. What film? Who knows? But... Gorilla Monsoon catches Bobby in the first segment of the show, and comedy ensues for the duration. I've added all of those segments up on our YouTube channel. I've also added some other rarities, including Joe Fowler, Joe Fowler's final hosting gig on All-American, as well as Vince McMahon replacing Joe Fowler on All-American. Lots of fun segments there. The rare wraparounds between Vince McMahon and Bobby Heenan from the Raw edition of the Survivor Series showdown also recently added. Plus... Bastion Booger versus Todd Pettengill? No, not in a ring, but apparently these two, they had a verbal feud going on, unbeknownst to my memory. 
And in a special edition of Face to Face on Mania, Jim Ross interviews Bastion Booger about his issues with Todd Pettengill. That's another video I recently added. Lots of new fun stuff up there at youtube.com slash Grenade. So subscribe to the channel today. You never know what's going to be added next. And last but not least, head on over to patreon.com slash WrestleCopia. 14 tiers of goodness over there to choose from, as low as a $1 tier. But you know my favorite tier by now, the $5 all-access tier, gives you all the fun stuff from the tiers below. That includes all of my extremely detailed show notes, as well as early access to any and all shows, including Monday Warfare and the Wrestling Memory Grenade. Plus, yes, our Patreon-exclusive watch-along series, featuring tons of WWF and WCW pay-per-views, Clash of the Champions, Saturday Night's Main Event, Coliseum videos, and so much more. Join now, as uh, we got tons up there in the Patreon-exclusive watch-along series, but more to come, and perhaps a whole new segment of watch-alongs with Tom Robinson as well. And now it's time to jump into the November news here. In 1993, and the WWF were only another month away from ending the year of 93. Unbelievable. But we got to get through these next two months first. And we begin here in November. Bam Bam Bigelow is having a baby. Well, his wife's having a baby, but in 2022, I guess you say they're both having a baby. Reports state that Bam Bam Bigelow has been pulled from all bookings leading into the Survivor Series. His wife is about to give birth any week now. He's been replaced in his matches against Doink the Clown by the Brooklyn Brawler. A little bit of irony there, since Steve Lombardi is the Brooklyn Brawler. He's also been Doink the Clown on the house shows since Matt Bourne suspended back on September 13th. Who's playing the character of Doink here? I'm going to assume here in November it was Ray Apollo leading in to the Survivor Series, but I can't confirm that. And because of that situation, Bigelow will miss almost all of November as he is slated to be out until the Survivor Series. And no, believe it or not, the baby mama is not his main squeeze, Luna Vachon. Somebody better tell Luna. Wonder what Luna has to say about all of this. Hmm. We move on. Matt Bourne is reportedly now taking indie bookings here in the month of November. It appears that Matt Watch may already be done. As DeMeltz reports, Matt Bourne is now taking the independent bookings, so it looks as if the suspension has finally led to Bourne's complete termination from the company, which is extremely unfortunate as we know the end of the good version of Doink the Clown is imminent any week now. Who are the Knights? As in Jerry Lawler's Knights, or Shawn Michaels' Knights. We'll get to that a little later in the show. We know the colors now are red, black, and blue. Three Knights. But who are under the hoods heading in to the Survivor Series, the team with Jerry Lawler, to take on the team of Brett, Owen, Keith, and Bruce Hart? It appears, based on various sources from Terry Funk's autobiography, all the way to something to wrestle with Bruce Prichard, that the Black Knight was initially supposed to be the very green Glenn Jacobs, the future Kane in the WWF-WWE. According to the Funker himself, in his autobiography, as well as commentary made by the King, it would seem the Blue Knight was slated to be Terry Funk. Of course, in his autobiography, he talks about having a, a Blue Knight costume. And the Red Knight, while rumored at times to be Jim Neidhart, which would make sense, would actually appear to be Greg Valentine, as Valentine was telling people several weeks ago, almost a month ahead of the pay-per-view, that he was scheduled to be part of the Survivor Series. And we also know, depending on the TV tapings, the house shows, if you will, and even used down in the USWA, the Blue Knight was also portrayed by the job guy Brian Costello on some of the house shows, as well as Del Rios, or the future Spellbinder, down in the USWA. 
So at this point, heading into November, it looks like the plans for the Knights were the Black Knight to be Kane, the Blue Knight to be Terry Funk, and the Red Knight perhaps to be Greg Valentine. Now we know one of those three does happen, the other two not even close. Kane comes in, Glenn Jacobs comes in in a recent TV taping and does a dark match. You have to imagine they saw what they had there. Great size, but maybe not exactly ready, not for prime time, but not for pay-per-view. We'll have to wait and see who those knights turn out to be. And in a little bit of exotic news, the exotic Adrian Street was reportedly quoted in the Wrestling Locker Room News magazine as saying he's been offered a position as a heel manager in the WWF, but doesn't have a starting date. Man, wouldn't that have been tremendous? Adrian Street in the WWF, one of those big what-ifs. And it's been a little while, but the WWF is once again Japan-bound. It appears the war promotion and the WWF have put back together their old working relationship. WWF Japanese representative Akio Sato, formerly of the Orient Express, was at the war November 11th show in Korokun Hall and announced that Tenru, the Great Kabuki, and possibly one other war wrestler will be appearing in the WWF Royal Rumble match. We know Tenru and Kabuki do wind up showing up. As for that third guy, no idea. This is likely reciprocation for the war top wrestlers being booked on top when the WWF tours Japan in April. Actually, it'll be May, Melts, but fun note there, when the WWF does head over to Japan in May of 1994, that's where they discover a fellow by the name of Jinsei Shinzaki. You guys might know him better as Hakushi. Oh, and it's time to ha call the hotline. Scheme Gene Okerlund. Mean Gene to you WWFers out there. Okerlund made comments on his WCW hotline debut that really ruffled some feathers in Titan Sports. Okerlund categorized himself as the anchor announcer for the WWF for the past 10 years and said that he had philosophical and intellectual differences with Vince McMahon that for the past three years, the two were barely on speaking terms. He then criticized Titan's recent hirings, mentioning by name Jim Ross, Bonnie Blackstone, who's already gone, Jim Cornette, and Bruce Pritchard's brother, referring to Tom Pritchard there, and Todd Pettengill, and noted WWF TV ratings have declined over the past three years. At this point, Gene fell into fiction, claiming when he hosted All-American Wrestling that they got no production budget, but the ratings were excellent, and that Vince used the money that should have been spent on All-American for Monday Night Raw instead, which Gene claimed was struggling in the ratings. The comment that struck the nerves was when he called the WWF a cottage industry and called TBS a multi-billion dollar conglomerate. Cottage industry is a term Vince McMahon himself has used for years as a derisive term for everyone else in the wrestling business other than the WWF. Ruffling feathers indeed. Ha! You want to find out more? Call the hotline! And we'll title this part of the news section here and there. Lots of little news and notes here. WrestleMania 10 tickets, guys. Get this. The front row seats, $300. Even with inflation, that's not even $600. Unbelievable compared to what you pay now for a sporting event or a sports entertainment event. $300, guys, for a front row seat at WrestleMania 10. Demelts reports Jerry Lawler did a hilarious King's Court that will never make air where Johnny Polo pretended to be Stu Hart while Harvey Whippleman pretended to be Helen Hart. Polo then faked having a heart attack and died on set, but Harvey revived him with mouth-to-mouth. Boy, this would have made for some fun TV for sure. Speaking of the Lawler-Bret Hart feud, Bret Hart is in the midst of attempting to renegotiate his contract. We'll have to see how that pans out. As we move on, November 26, 1993... 
the legendary Edouard Carpentier, at that time age 66, filed a lawsuit against the WWF for wrongful termination from his role as the French commentator on the syndicated shows. Carpentier served in that role from December of 84 all the way till October of 92, about eight years with the company, and now suing Titan for letting him go. For those of you with an eagle eye, you may notice that Razor Ramon is wearing a new Intercontinental title belt because Shawn Michaels, when he took off, he took the old belt home with him. Talk about taking your ball and going home. Shawn Michaels takes the belt and goes home. But he'll be back soon. We'll have two IC belts out there. And we all know where that leads. In a little bit of house show news, DeMelt says several upcoming B shows have already been canceled due to poor advance. So things not working out so well with this new B team strategy. After only one month bringing it back here in October, by November, they're already questioning it. Some upcoming shows being canceled later on in the year. WWF Magazine did a three-page feature on Smoky Mountain Wrestling with photos of Tammy Sitch, Tracy Smothers, The Rock and Roll Express, Dirty White Boy. Boy, I bet Jerry Jarrett is wondering, what the fuck is going on here? I've been working for Vince for a year. And my USWA hasn't been mentioned nor advertised in any way by the WWF. And it's going to get worse for Memphis here before this episode of the Grenade ends. I promise you that. It's reported there will be a women's title tournament, a WWF women's title being brought back to the forefront. Women's title tournament planned for the upcoming weeks, no doubt, to get the belt on Medusa, who will be arriving in the WWF under the name of Alundra Blaze. We should have a champion crown by the month of December. It's reported that the Macho Man Randy Savage will be off television for a few weeks to sell the injury from Crush, but when he returns, he will be leaving the announce desk in order to go back on the road full-time to feud with Crush. In more news, the entire Hart family, including brothers who aren't in the Survivor Series match, are scheduled to be on an upcoming edition of Regis and Kathy Lee. And if all of the rest of the Hearts have the personality of Brett, it's going to take an entire family to get that segment over. Sorry, guys. Just saying. We talked about it last episode. A little more here. Shawn Michaels already back with the WWF, popping up at TV tapings back in October. And he'll come back. It's reported that Shawn will eventually start a feud with Razor Ramon over who the real Intercontinental Champion is. And lastly, in the here and there department, financial woes continue as lots of major budgetary cutbacks including a restructuring of the employee health care plan, have taken place. And Bruce Pritchard, even on his podcast, Something to Wrestle several years ago now, has made mention of the removal of even the water dispensers in Titan Towers during this era. So things were pretty bad. Lots of budgetary cutbacks. Reports to Meltz. Bruce Pritchard's confirmed it. WWF not in a great business position here in 93, 94, 95. And this right here might be one of the reasons... As as of November 18, 1993, Vince McMahon is indicted by the United States Department of Justice for possession of conspiracy to distribute anabolic steroids. The charges against Vince McMahon include conspiracy to distribute anabolic steroids and to defraud the United States Food and Drug Administration, maximum penalty there of five years in prison, also illegal possession of anabolic steroids and intent to distribute. Maximum penalty, three years in prison. Maximum personal fines against Vince McMahon for the first two charges, 500000 apiece or a million total. Other indictments laid down against Titan Sports include conspiracy to distribute anabolic steroids and to defraud the United States Drug Administration, 
Another $500,000 there. And once again, illegal possession of anabolic steroids. Another $500,000 fine there. We're up to $2 million right here. Additionally, maximum penalty against Titan Sports for one or both counts would include the forfeiture of the land, office building, and everything that is located at 1241 East Main Street in Stamford, Connecticut, a.k.a. Titan Towers. So forfeiture of Titan Towers, unbelievable. Estimated value of the office building at that time, $9.5 million. And now we'll take an excerpt from The Observer here and, and Dave Meltzer. He writes, In what could prove to be a landmark steroid case, both Titan Sports owner Vince McMahon and his company were indicted on two counts apiece of steroid law violations. The case is believed to mark the first attempt by the U.S. government in enforcing its steroid laws to charge the owner or a key management figure of a sports organization and the organization itself, which allegedly benefited financially from its athletes' usage of steroids as conspirators for that use. McMahon is denying the conspiracy charges, claimed the charge was an attempt to make him responsible for the actions of Dr. George Zaharian, who was convicted of 12 counts of illegally dispensing steroids and other controlled substances in a well-publicized 1991 trial. Zahorian, who is currently serving a three-year sentence, was believed to have been the main and well, most well-known supplier of steroids, but was not the only supplier to WWF wrestlers from the 1980s through 1991. The indictment named Zahorian as well as others who weren't named as unindicted co-conspirators. McMahon and Titan Sports were arraigned November 23rd in Brooklyn. McMahon pleaded not guilty on all charges and was released on $250,000 bond before U.S. Court District Judge Jacob Mishler. A May 2, 1994 trial date was set. At the arraignment, McMahon refused to answer any media questions on the advice of his attorney, but called the entire proceedings unfair. In a statement issued through his lawyers, McMahon claimed the government's prosecutors are now trying to make me responsible for what the doctor, Zahorian, did. I did no such thing. In a statement released to the press, McMahon said, to turn my personal use into a crime, they claim I shared some of those steroids with a friend and that somehow made me a dealer. The indictments, which resulted from at least a 20-month-long Justice Department investigation of McMahon and his company, never alleged McMahon sold steroids, but that on several occasions around between March of 1988 and October of 1989, McMahon and Titan distributed the steroid Nandrolene Decanote, or DECA for short, to a WWF performer known to the grand jury whose real name wasn't listed in the indictment. There is widespread belief within the wrestling industry of who the performer is, and his name was in at least one major media report originally before lawyers for the media service took the name out. If the performer in question is one believed to be within the industry, it would contradict many public statements that performer has made in the past in regard to his involvement with drugs. McMahon, who after the indictment acknowledged sharing steroids with a friend but admitted to committing no crimes, contradicting an interview in the Boston Herald a few days before the indictment when he addressed the potential of a charge for dispensing steroids, Vince said, of all things that have been rumored, the vicious rumors and the lies that have been said about me and this company, no one's ever said that before. No one wrestler or anyone. So if I had ever given anyone steroids, distributed steroids, or anything along those lines, that would have been one of the very first things that someone could have said. Yes, he did it to me. At this point, business negotiations will take place, i.e. plea bargaining. There are many who believe a trial, win or lose, 
would prove devastating for the McMahon empire because it would require numerous wrestlers to testify to their own use of steroids, including the possibility of most of the company's top drawing cards from its heyday. The name of Hulk Hogan becomes a key factor. The Zahorian trial suddenly became front page news in USA Today and was scheduled to be covered as significant news in many mainstream outlets when it was believed Hogan would be testifying. When Hogan's subpoena was squashed, the story took on far less significance initially, although not in the long run. If Hogan were to be called to testify in a trial with McMahon on the subject of steroids, it would become a huge media event. McMahon is going to continue as lead television announcer, however, and is going to continue also as the CEO with Titan Sports in the wake of these indictments. What a brave man. The press release sent out by the U.S. Justice Department Eastern District on November 18th announcing the indictment specifically stated, at all relevant times, anabolic steroids have been classified as prescription drugs under federal law and could not be dispensed without a valid medical prescription. It later went on to state the indictment announced today charges McMahon and Titan with violations of federal law both before and after enactment of the 1988 statute. McMahon's attorney, Jerry McDivitt, who was the attorney for Hulk Hogan and responsible for getting him out of testifying at the Zahorian trial, McDivitt called the indictments cockamamie and claimed, we're going back into ancient and revisionist history to fashion an indictment against Vince McMahon. And once again, remember, besides a maximum of $1 million in fines, Titan Sports is facing a possible forfeiture of its $9.5 million office. The latter, because of the cost of replacing the office and everything in it, would most likely leave the WWF in a severely financially weakened position and almost force the company into downsizing and rebuilding from a much lower level. So lots of things going on in the mind of Vince McMahon right now as 1993 begins to come to a close. And as of right now, it don't look good. And that's it for the notes section. We'll continue to move on. Injury notes. Doesn't appear to be any real injuries of notes here in November, I'm happy to say. However, we got to remember Bam Bam Bigelow on the shelf, so to speak. He's out for three weeks or so. He will return at the Survivor Series pay-per-view, just sitting at home waiting for his little baby to be born. Also, Tatanka and Quebecer Pierre will be out with worked injuries during the month of November. But both will be back on TV in no time as we move on to the November house shows. And it's back to the A and B loops here in November. And over on the A loop for the first half of the month, it's Lex Luger over Ludwig Borga. Some of the tag team matches included the Guns over the Quebecers on a countout. Also the Head Shrinkers over the Guns. And the Steiner Brothers over the Quebecers on a disqualification. So on some nights, it's just the Guns working the Quebecers. On other nights, the Steiners come in and work the Quebecers, bringing the head triggers in to go over on the guns. Confusing? Not so much. However, one thing's for sure, the Quebecers cannot score a win here, losing to the guns every night on countout, losing to the Steiners on disqualifications. Also on the A-loops, Brett the Hitman Hart over Jerry Lawler, sometimes in a steel cage, sometimes not in a steel cage, but either way, every night Hart over Lawler, some nights seeing a night, that's not N-I-G-H-T, that's K-N-I-G-H-T, if you will. The Blue Knight, to be specific, and on these house shows, it appears to be Brian Costello, the job guy, enhancement talent Brian Costello, dressing up as the Blue Knight to interfere in some of these matches with Owen Hart coming out to counteract his interference. Bret Hart scoring wins over Jerry the King Lawler, and once Lawler is removed from the A shows, it'll get replaced by, by the WWF title match, which is currently on the B shows moving into November. 
The Undertaker will beat Yokozuna on a disqualification every night here, once Jerry Lawler is removed from the house show circuit here. And also, some of the mid-card guys, you might be asking, what's going on with these guys? It's WWF Intercontinental Champion Razor Ramon continuing to beat IRS by tying his tie to the ring post. Other nights, it's Razor Ramon teaming with Owen Hart to defeat the team of Diesel and the model Rick Martel. That sounds like a fun match. Razor and Owen over Diesel and Rick Martel. And on nights where the tag match doesn't take place, it's typically Razor over IRS on that countout. It's Rick Martel over Marty Jannetty and Owen Hart beating Bastion Booger. So everyone continuing to work the shows just in different capacities. You might be asking, what was Diesel doing on the nights he wasn't in the tag team matches? Well, if you remember, Mr. Perfect is gone from the company as of October 28th. And replacing him on the house shows was Bob Backlund. Diesel defeating Bob Backlund some nights. Backlund sometimes beating Diesel. You can cut it any which way you want. DeMeltz reports it's some of the worst matches reportedly in the WWF history. And I can only imagine, even though I don't want to. And over on the B-Loop side of things, some of the matches look like this. It's Adam Bomb over the 1-2-3 Kid. Crush over Marty Jannetty. Some nights Crush over Virgil. Doink the Clown, who I believe might be Ray Apollo here over the Brooklyn Brawler who's subbing for Bam Bam Bigelow here in November. Initially, remember I mentioned The Undertaker over Yokozuna in the WWF title match on a disqualification was part of the B-loop, but that match got moved to the A-loop once Jerry Lawler left the company. So Bret Hart gets brought over from the A-loop, where he was working Lawler, to the B-side of things, and Bret Hart wrestles Adam Bomb. Yes, what a, what a replacement. You lose Lawler and Bret on the A-show, so you get Undertaker, and Yokozuna, okay. On the B-Show, you lose Undertaker and Yokozuna. You get Bret Hart and Adam Bomb. Bret Hart scoring wins every night over Adam Bomb with a sharpshooter. And we talked a little bit in the A-Loop about all of the tag teams up there, the Steiners, the Guns, the Head Triggers. Depending on who was working the A-Loop, on the nights that the Guns were working the Quebecers up on the A-Loop, down in the B-Loop, the Steiners over the Head Shrinkers. And we'll move on past mid-November. Things shake up here. The A-loop changes to the 1-2-3 kid over Johnny Polo. The head triggers over Smoky Mountain Wrestling Tag Team Champions. The Rock and Roll Express getting to work some WWF loops here. Of course, the Smoky Mountain title's not on the line. The Shrinkers scoring the win. Owen Hart over Adam Baum at a disqualification. Some nights, Baum over the 1-2-3 kid. Rick Steiner defeating Tag Team Champion Jacques Rougeau with Pierre out selling an injury. Some nights also, the Steiner brothers over the team of Jacques Rougeau and Johnny Polo subbing for Pierre. We also see as part of this A-loop, Doink the Clown over Iron Mike Sharp. Lex Luger continues to beat Ludwig Borga. That's one thing that hasn't changed. And Bret Hart now defeating Shawn Michaels. This looks fun. In a steel cage match, Shawn, of course, replacing Jerry the King Lawler now back on the road full-time is Shawn Michaels. Bret over Shawn. Bit of an upgrade wrestling-wise, I'd say. Storyline-wise, not so much. And down on the B-loop, ooh, some rough ones here, guys. The Brooklyn Brawler defeats Brian Costello, Diesel over Bob Backlund. Men on a mission defeat the up-and-coming team of Barry Horowitz and Tom Stone. Bastion Booger pinning Virgil. Razor Ramon finally scoring pinfall wins over IRS. And the main event, The Undertaker over Yokozuna in a casket match. The matches were non-title, however. The title didn't change hands, so if you paid your tickets specifically for the casket match or, or Razor Ramon, perhaps you got your money's worth. But look at that undercard. Possibly the worst undercards I've ever witnessed here. The Brawler over Brian Costello. 
Diesel over Bob Backlund, Bastion Booger over Virgil, and Men on a Mission over Tom Stone, and Barry Horowitz, who were replacing Well Done, who are now gone from the company. We move on to November 27th, Madison Square Garden. 12600 paid here this month in MSG, and a fun little show here as we see the Head Shrinkers over the Smoking Guns. Tiger Jackson over Little Louie with a leap off the top rope. This is the first midget match in MSG in more than four years. Now, we know Tiger Jackson going to be sticking around under an assumed name very shortly here in the WWF. Also on the show, Shawn Michaels sub for Jerry Lawler, pinned Doink the Clown with a super kick after late in the bout, Luna Vachon came to ringside with Doink kissing her on the apron, leading to Bigelow coming out. Doink became distracted from Bigelow at ringside, allowing Michaels to nail the super kick and score the win. Following the match, Bigelow and Luna double-teamed Doink for several minutes. But when Bigelow went to the top rope to hit his diving headbutt, Doink tripped up Luna and moved out of the way. Bigelow wound up dropping the headbutt on his main squeeze instead. So we get some comedy shenanigans there. Shawn Michaels over Doink the Clown. Also, the Steiners back in action here on the house shows, if you haven't noticed by now, scoring a win over the Quebecers on a disqualification. It was questioned if Pierre would show up. They were selling it on TV leading in to MSG that it might be Jacques and Johnny Polo, which we've seen on some other house shows. But it appears after Survivor Series, things are okay with Pierre. He's back in action. And here it is, the Steiners over the Quebecers on a disqualification when Pierre jumped on referee Danny Davis to prevent Jacques from being pinned following the Frankensteiner there. Also on the show, Razor Ramon defends the Intercontinental title, pinning Diesel with an inside cradle. It's noted that Shawn Michaels attempted to interfere in the match, but the interference backfired, allowing Razor to sneak in the inside cradle and score the win on the future Big Daddy Cool. At that point, Howard Finkel announced that Shawn Michaels had been fined $5,000 for his interference here tonight. Also on the show, Owen Hart over Marty Jannetty by submission in the sharpshooter. Jannetty injured his ankle attempting a leapfrog, and Owen took advantage, so Owen Hart continues. Well, we'll see what happens at the Survivor Series. I won't let the cat out of the bag yet for those who don't know what's coming up, but Owen Hart showing a different side. We'll just put it that way. And in the main event of MSG, it's The Undertaker over Yokozuna in a casket match. Again, non-title but Undertaker does get the win. What a lot of great action here tonight at MSG. Shrinkers over guns. You get your little midget match. Tiger Jackson goes over there. Shawn Michaels pinning Doink. We see Bam Bam Bigelow running interference. The Steiners over the Quebecers. Razor pinning Diesel. Owen defeating Marty Jannetty. And The Undertaker and Yokozuna. Everybody on the card besides Bret Hart, conspicuous by his absence, is the hitman. And I like to do this from time to time. Random matches on random house shows. We don't really see these very often, but these stuck out to me. So I wanted to just take a look at some of the random matches that took place over the course of November 93 on the house shows. On November 1st, Peterborough, Ontario, Johnny Polo defeats Virgil. I would like to have seen that one. Over in the Spectrum, Philadelphia, November 20th, it's Owen Hart over Dwayne Gill working the Spectrum. Is Mr. Gill. Up to Ottawa, Ontario. November 25th, it's Owen Hart in a match over Johnny Polo, as well as Doink the Clown. Now, definitely Ray Apollo scoring a win over Bastion Booger there in Ottawa. Let's stick to Canada, shall we? November 26th, just a couple of days after the Survivor Series, Montreal sees Doink the Clown score a win over Shawn Michaels after distraction from Razor Ramon. The Forum in Montreal drawing in 13,800 fans. That's more than 1,000 fans 
more than Madison Square Garden. Talk about a big show. And Ray Apollo comes right into the company and scores a win over Shawn Michaels, thanks to Razor Ramon. We head over to New Brunswick on November 27th. We've seen Razor tie IRS's tie to the ring post ad nauseum now for the last two and a half months. Well, we'll change things up here just a little bit. It's Doink the Clown, now the Prince of Pranks, tying the tie of IRS to the ring post and scoring a win on a countout. So Ray Apollo jumps right into things. He replaces Razor here in this match. I'm not saying Razor's out. I'm just saying that Doink the Clown wrestling IRS here, doing the spot that Razor's been doing, beating IRS just the night before he pins Shawn Michaels. Also on this New Brunswick card, a rarity, Mo of Men on a Mission, singles action, scoring a win over quote-unquote an unknown. Mo versus an unknown. That had to be a quality match for everyone in attendance. Also, the WWF in Albany, New York, the Knickerbocker Arena, November 28th, Razor Ramon, the Intercontinental Champion, the real Intercontinental Champion, Razor Ramon, fights the self-proclaimed Intercontinental Champion, Shawn Michaels, to a double disqualification. So it's started, guys. Shawn Michaels and Razor fighting over those Intercontinental title belts. Also on the November 28th Albany show, Doink the Clown, Ray Apollo, another big win, scores a pinfall victory over Bam Bam Bigelow. So things looking good so far for the new Doink the Clown. We'll see how long that lasts. And we'll take a look at a few TV tapings here as well before we move on. WWF in Bushkill, Pennsylvania, November 8th, as part of the Monday Night Raw taping on the dark match side of things. It was Razor Ramon defending the Intercontinental title over Pat Tanaka. That, that might have been fun. Also, Bret Hart pinning Jerry Lawler after Owen Hart threw Lawler back in the ring when he tried to leave ringside. So Owen getting involved in the matches here. They're working him into the storyline as best they can. We move on to November 9th, Carbondale, Pennsylvania, wrestling challenge taping. The Undertaker subbing for a quote-unquote injured macho man, pinning Jerry Lawler, The Undertaker over Jerry Lawler. Also on the show, on the dark matches, Brett the Hitman Hart teams with Lex Luger, defeating the team of Ludwig Borga and Yoko Zuna. Brett and Luger over Yoko and Ludwig Borga. It was also reported here on November 9th, Carbondale, Pennsylvania, at the high school, that the principal and school board were upset at the condition the school was left in after the taping, including whiskey bottles in the cafeteria, human feces in the locker room floor, and a broken door. Yep, sounds like the click. We move on the next night, November 10th. Delhi, New York Superstars taping featured Jerry Lawler conducting an untelevised interview with Rio Rogers, so Lawler interviewing his replacement. Here to get Rio Rogers over with the crowd. Of course, Rio, he ain't long for the world. We'll talk a little bit more about Rio later in this show. Also, as part of the Delhi, New York taping, The Undertaker again pins Jerry Lawler, and Jerry Lawler defeats Owen Hart on a disqualification when Bret Hart interferes as Lawler had Owen tied to the ropes and was slapping and spitting on him. After the bout, Owen argued with Bret for costing him the match. The match was to have aired as part of the Survivor Series showdown, but was cut due to Lawler's upcoming dismissal from the company. So think about that. This would have played such a bigger picture. And I know they really can't help but do what they had to do, but just think about the way the Survivor Series showdown plays out. And, and had this been an additional segment on the show, even a more in intricate storyline being told there, very good stuff, and we'll get back into this when we get to the Survivor Series showdown. But for now, we look at more TV taping dark matches. November 29th in White Plains, New York, the Head Shrinkers over the tag team champion Quebecers on a countout 
when Polo pulled his champions out of the ring when it seemed like they were about to lose the title. So they're already testing the waters for perhaps an upcoming Head Shrinkers babyface turn. Phil Apollo scores a win over Iron Mike Sharp. Wow, there. And Lex Luger pinning Bam Bam Bigelow. That's different. And last but not least, Wrestling Challenge TV taping. November 30th in Springfield, Massachusetts, we start the Women's Championship Tournament, the Women's Title Tournament. First round matches see Heidi Lee Morgan defeat Black Venus and Rusty Thomas defeat a lady by the name of Angie Marino. Also on the card, The Undertaker scores a win over Crush. You guys can actually find this match on The Undertaker, the Face of Fear video, as well as the Inside the WWF Coliseum video. Also, WWF champion Yokozuna over Intercontinental champion Razor Ramon on a pinfall after a distraction from Shawn Michaels. So Yokozuna pinning Razor Ramon. Curious to see if that one's out there. And we move away from the house shows, and it's on to Gone in November. Or... Yes! Joe Fowler! Joe Fowler was fired as an announcer, and Jim Ross is taking over, doing the face-to-face segments, while Raymond Rougeau has already replaced Bonnie Blackstone once again as the lead interviewer, at least for the short term. So Joe Fowler, gone from the company. After a mere 10 weeks on TV, Joe Fowler will be gone. I think his time with the company was more like eight or nine weeks. He arrives at SummerSlam and gone before the Survivor Series. As reported last week here on The Grenade, well done, also removed from WWF bookings after an injury to Steve Dahl. Harvey Whippleman goes from two guys, the Giant Gonzalez and Mr. Hughes, to three guys, well done and Adam Bomb, to one guy, Adam Bomb, all within a couple weeks. Poor Harvey. <laughs> I wrote, that's all right, Harvey. Quang is on the way. DeMeltz reports that Larry Matisik who had been the WWS promoter in St. Louis dating back to 1983, was fired this past week in what was said to have been another budget cutback, although it came just days after a spot show near St. Louis drew 700 fans. Matisik was a longtime TV announcer and assistant to Sam Muchnick in the St. Louis NWA wrestling territory. Throughout the 70s and early 80s, when Muchnick retired, Matisik took over for a brief period there, tried to run his own thing, and then eventually gave in and worked for the WWF from 1983 all the way here to 1993. And you got to remember, in recent weeks, we've been reading news. The WWF lost their syndicated TV in St. Louis. They're drawing 700 fans. It may have been time for Matisic to go. And you guys can correct me if I'm wrong on this one, but it appears as though referee Bill Alfonso, who was brought in as the gopher, as the maintenance man for the Giant Gonzalez, well, with the departure of Gonzalez, it appears... Bill Alfonso may have been on the way out as well. I haven't seen him on any of the recent TV either. We'll just have to wait for Fonzie to pop up in ECW. And last but not least, gone in November, Jerry the King Lawler. And this is another big news piece here, guys. Is Jerry Lawler, longtime co-owner of the USWA and one of the most enduring regional headlines in the history of pro wrestling, was indicted on November 12th of one count of second-degree rape three counts of second-degree sodomy, and one count of harassing a witness. Lawler, who's scheduled to be arraigned in Louisville on November 22nd, was charged by a Jefferson County, Kentucky grand jury on the five counts in reference to an alleged encounter with a 13-year-old Louisville schoolgirl. He's also being investigated for criminal allegations in southern Indiana on what are allegedly similar circumstances. 
Lawler, who turns 44 on November 29th over the past year, has achieved his biggest national and financial success in a lengthy career by parlaying a color commentary role on WWF superstars into becoming the hottest heel in the United States and in recent weeks the country's biggest drawing card on a national basis. His ongoing feud with Bret Hart was the biggest drawing match in the U.S. at the time of the indictment. The WWF immediately suspended Lawler without pay upon receiving word Friday of the indictment. Even though he was the company's hottest heel, his match on November 24th Survivor Series, where he was to team with his masked knights against the Hart family, was considered by most as the top-drawing match on the show, even though it was positioned by the company as the second from the top. Company officials announced the next evening on Radio WWF that Jerry Lawler had been indicted on five charges in Louisville and put on immediate hiatus from the WWF pending, clearing up his legal situation. The company on the same show announced Shawn Michaels would be replacing Jerry Lawler in the Survivor Series. Shawn Michaels and Jeff Jarrett are expected to replace Lawler in house show matches over the next several weeks. If or when Lawler is cleared from these charges, he will be brought back to the WWF. Lawler was heavily pushed on WWF TV that are already taped ahead for approximately four more weeks. The decision was made Friday to edit out all business-related references to Lawler and anything featuring or related to Lawler from the already taped shows effective immediately. And we'll see that happen here before Survivor Series. Company officials were still unsure of how the two-hour Survivor Series preview show, the Survivor Series Showdown, scheduled air November 21st on USA, which was taped back November 10th in Delhi, New York, would be put together since situations involving Lawler were critical to the entire flow and storyline of two key matches in the beginnings of what appeared to be a brother-versus-brother feud with Brett versus Owen. There was some talk WWF may have to do an emergency taping this week at a house show to create a new Survivor Series showdown special for Sunday. Now that doesn't happen. Lawler's role as co-host on Superstars, as of this coming weekend, will be taken by Bruce Pritchard, who will use the television name Rio Rogers, doing a heel character designed as a parody to Dusty Rhodes. Lawler will continue to wrestle for the USWA in Memphis, and at this point the rest of the territory as well, with the exception of Louisville, where the alleged incident took place. Lawler had traditionally headlined approximately one show per month in Louisville, since many years back he stopped traveling the entire circuit. The USWA, which traditionally runs wrestling every Tuesday night in the Louisville Gardens, has pulled out of the city for the next few weeks in the wake of the negative local publicity. The second-degree rape charge, which is statutory rather than forced rape, along with the three second-degree sodomy charges, are felonies and carry possible prison sentences of five to ten years apiece. The harassment of a witness charge is a misdemeanor with a maximum sentence of one year in prison and a $500 fine. The grand jury indictments on the four felony charges are related to alleged encounters in Louisville hotel rooms on June 5th and July 7th of this year. The harassment charge alleged that on October 4th, Lawler engaged in misleading or unlawful conduct intended to dissuade a person who he believes may be called as a witness for causing a criminal prosecution to be sought or instituted. According to a story in Saturday's Louisville Journal, the charge is not related to the alleged victim of the sex crimes Lawler has been indicted for, but related to a 14-year-old girl who may have been the first person to go to the authorities related to these charges. 
A detective of the Crimes Against Children unit said no force was used, but the charges were brought because of the girl's age. The age of consent in Kentucky is 16, unlike 18 in much of the rest of the country. According to a TV news report on the CBS affiliate in Louisville on Friday night, testimony to the grand jury on Friday centered around the two alleged incidents in Louisville on June 6th and July 7th, and a third alleged incident on May 26th across the river in Indiana. The TV report focused on the testimony of one of the two girls who reportedly told the grand jury, as soon as we walked into Lawler's room, he said, let's get naked. We took off our clothes and all three got into bed. We had sex while we were watching cartoons. Oh, the fuck. According to the testimony after the alleged encounter, Lawler took the two girls to Value City and Taco Bell. What the fuck are we doing here, people? A total of 17 people, including Jerry Lawler, were called to testify in the Friday hearing that led to the five indictments, which took the grand jury just 10 minutes to vote on. Outside the courtroom on Friday, Lawler was interviewed by the station saying, The king is fighting back. The king is not going to take this lying down. The girls are lying. Lawler has told reporters he has done taped telephone conversations, which he says will exonerate him. The station has phoned WMC-TV in Memphis, the flagship station where the weekly USWA shows have been taped for 15 years. They've been asking for footage of Lawler for their news reports, which the station has refused to release. The only other statements to the press Lawler is known to have made were on WMC-TV itself on Saturday morning and in a phone conversation initiated by Lawler to Wade Keller of the Pro Wrestling Torch on Sunday. Lawler said on WMC-TV that this was a situation where a couple of young wrestling groupies were bragging about some supposed sexual conquest to their friends, and uh, it snowballed and was related from one person to another, and my name was dropped in, among other names, as having been with these girls. Lawler told to Keller, each and every one of these allegations are false, They'll be proven false if need be in a court of law. This is a case of a couple of girls who are wrestling groupies who told another party about a supposed sexual conquest. This party went to authorities. The authorities then came to me. I volunteered to tell my side of the story to the grand jury, but when I was in front of the grand jury, I didn't get to tell my side of the story and what I know about the situation. Lawler also acknowledged the situation on live Saturday morning USWA TV in the middle of his interview talking about Monday night matches with himself teaming with Brian Christopher taking on the team of Coco Ware and Rex Hargrove, Lawler also said, I've got a lot of friends and family here in this town, and I want you to know that in the next couple of days, you're going to be hearing some stories or seeing some stories on some allegations made about me. And I just want to say right now that each and every one of those are totally false, and I guarantee you that I will prove that if I have to, in a court of law. That's all I'm going to say about that. Again, November 22nd, Jerry Lawler pleads not guilty to charges of statutory rape, sodomy, and harassing a witness in Louisville. Lawler, Lawler was freed on a $1,000 bond. The sex charges stemmed from the allegations involving the 13-year-old girl, again, on the dates of June 6th and July 7th. But it doesn't end there, guys. This shit goes on. Unbelievable. The Lawler case takes a bizarre turn. As Jerry Lawler's attorney, William Massey, told numerous media outlets in the Memphis area and the Associated Press that he had a four-page written affidavit 
from the 13-year-old Louisville girl who was listed as the victim in the rape and sodomy aspect of the case and her mother recanting their story and saying none of the incidents took place. Both Massey and Lawler spent the weekend telling the media and friends that all charges would be dropped at the arraignment that was scheduled to take place on Monday, November 22nd. Massey, in an interview before the arraignment, said he'd accept nothing less than a complete dismissal. After the arraignment, where Lawler pled not guilty to all five charges, none of the charges were dropped. Lawler was freed on, again, $1,000 bail. Lawler returned to Memphis for largely positive press on Monday night's news show, saying the procedure didn't allow for the admitting of the affidavit as evidence until a December 6th discovery meeting. So as of now, the charges aren't dropped. In an article on November 26th in Memphis, Massey was quoted as saying he met with the girl and her mother at their request in Louisville last week and obtained a statement completely exonerating Lawler. The young lady says this never happened. It just got blown out of proportion. And when she tried to stop the prosecution, the authorities did not want her to. They didn't want to hear her truth. Massey claimed the situation stemmed from a dispute with the girl in question and a family friend that Lawler had no part of. They have a family friend, said Massey, who almost sees himself as a fatherly figure to this young lady. Massey said in the newspaper article, he will constantly probe into where she's going and what she's doing, and he questions her, even accuses her of going out with people constantly. This gentleman was accusing her at one time, I think it was in September, and he just got on and kept on, and he was saying, who else have you been with? Just to spite the man and to make him leave her alone, to make him back off, the girl finally replied, if it makes you happy, I've been with Jerry Lawler, and named a few others as well. This man went to the police, and that's when it got started. Massey said the statement also cleared Lawler of alleged wrongdoings in Indiana investigations, where charges have not been filed. He said the grand jury indictments came without Lawler nor the girl being put on the stand, which seems to make erroneous the report on the TV news that was reported here and elsewhere last week, quoting detailed testimony from the alleged victim. How could that be if she was never put on the stand? Although many aspects of this story at this point don't seem to make sense. Mr. Lawler sees this young lady as more or less a victim of the system herself, her and her family. Massey continued in the article, this just got blown out of proportion. And that happens sometimes with major celebrity figures. Massey said that Lawler admitted to meeting the girl when she came to his room at one time and they talked for about 30 minutes, but that was the extent of the situation. Whew, that was a mouthful. Thanks for sticking with me there, guys. So Matt Bourne gone from the company. Kurt Hennig gone from the company. Some big names leaving. And now, as Demelz puts it, the hottest heel, the hottest feud in the company, Jerry Lawler and Bret Hart. Well, Lawler now gone from the company. We're losing top talent left and right, and it's not going to end there. We've got another big one coming next month in December of 1993. I'll have a piece on Bobby Heenan then in a couple of weeks. But for now... Another one bites the dust here in 1993, as Jerry Lawler is now gone. He won't be back until WrestleMania 10. And based on the names who have been leaving the company over the course of the last three, four months, you could start a fairly successful promotion with the list of the talent who have just left the WWF. But as talent continues to leave, other talent continues to enter the company, if that's what you want to call it. And first on the list this week is Rio Rogers, baby, if you will, Rio Rogers, coming to the WWF. Rio Rogers, 
is coming into the WWF here in November, and he's also gone. Yes! Whoa! From the WWF here in November. Rogers will last a total of, I believe, one weekend with the company. Also coming in later in November is Stan Lane, former member of the Midnight Express, former member of the Heavenly Bodies. No doubt, maybe, maybe Jim Cornette put a word in here. WWF desperate for announcers at this point. That's not a knock on Stan Lane at all, but they're losing announcers left and right. Mean Gene leaves the company. They got to they cut ties with Joe Fowler. They, they, Bonnie Blackstone on the way out as an interviewer. Mike McGurk, even the ring announcer, gone. We're running out of people left and right. And now Jerry Lawler, one of the main announcers in the company, gone. And we know Bobby Heenan's going to be gone here in a few weeks as well. They're, they're, they're about out of heel announcer. They're about out of announcers, period. And Vince McMahon having his own personal issues right now with the upcoming steroid trial. Whew, it's pretty rough here on commentary. So Stan Lane gets the nod and comes in as an announcer. Also on the way, we've already talked about this, Alundra Blaze, the former Medusa, heading in to be the WWF Women's Champion here at the end of 1993. And a couple of other names headed in. A fellow by the name of Quang, the ninja. Quang to be portrayed by the former TNT in Puerto Rico. You'll know him better as Savio Vega here in 1995. But here, at the tail end of 93, Quang, a masked master of the martial arts from where else but the Orient. Quang the Ninja headed into the WWF, also coming in. A guy by the name of Bob Holly worked as Bob Hollywood Holly down in Smoky Mountain Wrestling. He'll be doing a race car gimmick under the name of Thurman Sparky Plug. What a name. Actually, it should have been pronounced Sparky Thurman Plug, the initials being STP, if you get my drift. Bob Holly's actually been in the ring on and off for the last seven years. Holly, out of Pensacola, Florida, worked for Smoky Mountain Wrestling during its inception period, but Holly just couldn't stick with the company, retiring from wrestling out of Smoky Mountain to go back to welding where he was making more money than working the indie shows. So you can't really blame the guy. DeMeltz notes that he thought Bob Holly at this point was even reminiscent of 1980s Bobby Eaton. Jim Cornette originally wanted to give Holly a major push down in Smoky Mountain, but again, Holly's welding job just paid better, so he went off into retirement from professional wrestling for the better part of the last year and a half or more. And now Holly being pulled out of retirement here to work for Vince McMahon, and you have to wonder, once again, was this a Jim Cornette idea? Not the race car driver gimmick. Just bringing Bob Holly in to the World Wrestling Federation. Either way, some big names coming in here, guys. Quang, the ninja, and Thurman's Sparky Plug headed in, both debuting on TV at the Royal Rumble pay-per-view. As for November tryouts, we get one tryout in the month of November. A fellow by the name of Tarantula or as he was better known, T-Rantula. I guess maybe a hybrid of a Tyrannosaurus Rex and a Tarantula. T-Rantula, a rather large-looking dude, kind of going bald, big brody beard, bulky, indie-rific for the time, you know, kick-and-punch, bigger guy, kind of a Mahler, Ox Baker, body-esque type of fellow. Best way I can describe him. He would pop up here from time to time. I am familiar with him. 
I think he might have even done a couple of jobs in WCW in the mid-90s. But he gets a tryout here on November 9th in Carbondale, Pennsylvania, his home state, scoring a win over an unknown. Curious to see who that guy was. But T. Rangela gets a tryout with the WWF. Of course, nothing comes of that as we move on to USWA crossover feud with the World Wrestling Federation here for November of 1993. And we already talked about November 1st in the Mid-South Coliseum. It was Coco Ware and Rex Hargrove over the team of Jeff Jarrett and Brian Christopher to win the tag team titles after Tony Adams turned on Brian Christopher, throwing powder in his face. So Tony Adams aligning herself with Rex Hargrove there as we move on to November 6th TV. In the studio, it's Tony Adams now with Rex Hargrove. She talks trash on Brian Christopher. We can see a confrontation between Brian and Hargrove, leading to a squash match with Hargrove, and yet another altercation. And then from there later in the show, Jarrett and Brian Christopher team up to take on the team of Doomsday, the future Kane, and Reggie B. Fine. Almost the entire show was the feud between Brian Christopher and Jeff Jarrett and Rex Hargrove and Coco Ware. The only thing was Coco was nowhere to be found. Not part of the tapings. And that feud will continue on to the Mid-South Coliseum on November 8th. It's Jarrett and Christopher regaining the USWA tag titles from Coco and Rex Hargrove on that night. Also, Reggie B. Fine, part of the match, he interfered after hiding under the ring, causing Jarrett to be pinned. But Jarrett showed the referee, Frank Morell, that Fine was hiding under the ring, which restarted the match. And after the match, Coco Ware, upset, grabbed Miss Texas and gave her a brain buster, putting her out on a stretcher. Coco Ware brain bustering Miss Texas. And I'm sure she was all for it. So we move on to November 13th TV, Mid-South Coliseum clips of said brain buster from Coco to Miss Texas. And we go on to highlights from around town. What's interesting is typically they shill what they're about to show, but since they don't necessarily know what we're about to see, we actually see what, won't, what shouldn't air until next week because it hasn't actually taken place yet when this actually aired on Memphis TV Saturday morning. But since this is a syndicated version airing later in the week, perhaps the following week, we actually see it here. And that is from November 15th, Mid-South Coliseum. Listen to this one. The WWF's crush defeats Jeff Jarrett for the USWA title, formerly the Southern title, after Tony Adams comes ringside Hands crush a foreign object. He blasts it across the head of Jeff Jarrett and scores the win. Crush is the new USWA champion. Unbelievable there. Also part of the November 15th Coliseum show, Downtown Bruno, Harvey Whippleman, defeats the Moondogs manager, Richard Lee, in a loser-leaves-town match. Also, Lawler and Brian Christopher over the team of Coco Ware and Rex Hargrove on a countout. And here's another fun random match. USWA in Leachfield, Kentucky. November 16th sees The Undertaker over Crush. Undertaker coming in to sub for Randy Savage. The Undertaker over Crush in the Grayson County High School Gymnasium, Leachfield, Kentucky. Imagine if you lived in Leachfield, Kentucky, and all of a sudden The Undertaker and Crush show up on a USWA show. Wow. And now here's where things get interesting, although maybe not for the good. It's USWA TV, November 20th. And again, we see the clips of Crush defeating Jeff Jarrett for the USWA title. But then Eddie Marlin comes on television and says the rules committee are tired of the outside interference. And he was giving the belt, returning the belt back to Jeff Jarrett. So Jeff Jarrett regains the USWA title from Crush without even beating him. 
Eddie Marlin stating he's sick of the bullshit finishes, sick of the bullshit cheating and title changes here in the USWA, claiming that's the reason why he's going to overturn Crush's win, give the belt back to Jarrett, and promises things will change here in the future. We'll see how long that lasts, I think about 48 hours. In reality, over the past several days, Vince McMahon had come down with a new mandate that the WWF would no longer send any WWF talent down to work the USWA. Well, that's unfortunate. We started all the way back at the beginning of February, and here it is, guys, the USWA versus WWF feud on its last legs out of the blue. It was just a month ago that Vince McMahon and the Macho Man were on USWA TV, and now here, Crush can't even be brought back in to do the job, put Jeff Jarrett or Lawler or whomever over on the way out. They simply have him give the belt back to Jeff Jarrett. Also, you guys might remember the Macho Man is the current unified champion, or world champion now as they call it in the USWA. Randy Savage was also announced as being stripped of the unified title for failure to defend within 30 days. And a battle royal is announced as being held on November 22nd in Memphis to crown a new unified champion. So Crush is forced to give the Southern title, the USWA title, back to Jeff Jarrett, and Randy Savage holding the unified title, or world title, is now vacating that belt without even showing back up in the company. So both singles belts were on WWF stars at one point less than a week ago, held by the feuding Macho Man and Crush. That would have made for some interesting matches had they retained those titles. But Vince's new decree forces the USWA to vacate Savage's belt and return the Southern belt to Jeff Jarrett. And it's all unfortunate. I was really curious to see where all of this was going. Crush as a champion, Macho Man as a champion there down in Memphis. But no more. They're all gone. No more WWF in the USWA unless you count Jerry Lawler and Jeff Jarrett. And I'm not entirely sure what provoked this out of the blue, especially with the indictment coming down on Vince McMahon needing Jerry Jarrett now more than ever. This is purely speculation on my part, but it makes you wonder if the Jerry Lawler situation caused the end of the WWF-USWA crossover era here. But we'll continue on with USWA and quote-unquote WWF-type storylines here as we go on to Mid-South Coliseum, November 22nd. Jerry Lawler and Brian Christopher again defeat Coco Ware and Rex Hargrove. As a result, Tony Adams had to eat dog food there. Buddy Landell back into the territory, winning the Southern title from Jeff Jarrett on the undercard, with Jeff still working as a babyface at this point. Remember, he's a heel coming into the WWF, but things change here. Later on in the night, Jeff Jarrett no longer the Southern champion. This match is for the vacant Unified World title. It is the Battle Royal I mentioned. Of course, Randy Savage giving up that belt. Here it is up for grabs in a Battle Royal. It came down to Jerry Lawler and Jeff Jarrett, the top two baby faces in the company with Jeff Jarrett turning heel on the king and pinning him, using the trunks to win the title. Jeff Jarrett lost the Southern title earlier in the show, but won the unified slash world title in the main event battle royal. Jeff Jarrett turns heel, which will make much more sense for the WWF TV programming, beats the king, and he's announced as the new unified champion. So he gives up one belt to win another. As we move on to the final week of TV here in November for the USWA, it's November 27th. We see Battle Royal highlights the Jarrett heel turn and then Jeff Jarrett out to cut a heel promo just in time for that WWF run because in my opinion, a dickhead heel needs to be a dickhead heel everywhere. 
DeMeltz notes Jeff Jarrett officially turned heel in his last week as a regular here in the USWA. Jarrett did an interview talking about how it had taken him seven and a half years to win the world title. Tony Adams then came out and said that as world champion, he shouldn't be risking injury defending his tag team titles as she started knocking Brian Christopher. Jarrett told Tony Adams not to knock Christopher, but after a commercial break, Jarrett said that she made sense and that he doesn't want to risk injury defending the tag team titles anymore. Jarrett and Christopher were scheduled to defend the titles against PG-13 on the show, but Jarrett then told Eddie Marlin he didn't care about the tag team titles anymore and gave the belt back to Marlin. Marlin then asked for Christopher's belt, but Christopher wouldn't give it back and offered to face both PG-13 by himself. And as it appeared, Christopher had that match well in hand, taking on both PG-13. It was PG-13's third member, Midget D, coming off the top rope of the hubcap that cost Brian Christopher the tag team titles. So Jeff Jarrett makes the heel turn. And other than losing the Southern title to Buddy Landell, Jarrett almost had every belt in the company there less than a week ago. And I wrote here as part of last week's episode, didn't Eddie Marlin just cut a promo last week about no more bullshit title changes? and bullshit finishes, and that's why Crush's win was overturned? Now Jarrett cheats to beat Lawler on Monday? PG-13 cheat to beat one guy? And Landell probably cheated too to win the Southern title. And all of these guys get to keep the belts. So none of this makes sense, and classic Memphis. It's also on this November 27th edition of USWA TV that Jerry Lawler comes out into the studio and discusses the recent accusations made against him. Let's have a quick listen to what the King had to say about that. I just want to come by here for a second before this match and say that uh, I really appreciate the support of people like Tom Nunnery, and it is true, this whole thing has been a, an unbelievable nightmare. Uh, hopefully, as we've said before, hopefully the end is in sight. This, it's, it is just amazing to me how this whole thing has snowballed. A story told uh, basically innocently by a young lady to another person and then this person told someone else and this whole thing just like snowballed. Now uh, the young lady has come forward and said that she made the story up, that it was not true, uh, but still the thing is, is still sort of going on. But just hopefully it'll all be dropped soon and, and, and as Tom said, everything can get back to normal. And I want to thank everybody for their support. I really appreciate it because it means a, means a great deal. There's a lot of that. Okay, King, good luck in the match coming up here. We've gotten calls, we've gotten letters, all of that sort of thing in support of the King. And all right, Lawler, very quick to the point, states his case, and we'll see what happens there as we move on to our final bit of USWA here in November. It's USWA at the Mid-South Coliseum, November 29th, part of the WWF Women's Championship Tournament. No more WWF wrestlers down to Memphis. Well, apparently the ladies don't count as Medusa, Alundra Blaze, sent down to Mempho here in Mid-South Coliseum, November 29th scoring a win over Allison Royal and what is billed as a Women's Championship Tournament first-round match. Also on this show was scheduled to see Jerry Lawler take on Brett the Hitman Hart, but as you know, no more WWF talent headed down to Memphis. So Bret Hart is replaced last minute by Smoky Mountain Wrestling Champion Brian Lee. Lawler scoring a win here over Brian Lee on a disqualification. So it was kind of Jim Cornette to work with the USWA here to do their best to replace Bret Hart on a very short notice. And that'll wrap things up for November of 93 here in the USWA WWF Wars. So that means only one thing. It's time for... 
Virgil of the Week. And this week, I entitled this one Vegas Virgil, as we get a quick one this week. In fact, we'll listen to both sides as Virgil heads to the Thomas and Mack Center, Las Vegas, Nevada, November 1st, 1991, to defend the million-dollar title against the million-dollar man, Ted DiBiase, Sherry in his corner. Let's listen to Ted DiBiase and good old Virgil. And don't miss your chance to catch live action right here in Las Vegas, Friday night, November 1st, when it all happens at the Thomas and Mack Center. The former bodyguard Virgil and new million-dollar champion, he puts the belt on the line against Ted DiBiase. He stole the belt. we got to do something about it. we got to... Sherry, I know he stole the belt. Well, we got to do something. Belt. They know he stole well, the belt. Well, let's do something Listen, about it. Listen, you need to calm it, down. Calm I'm down. not calming down and Look, you can't Take some money. Me. Take some money right now. Go shop. All you want. I don't care. All, I want. All you want. Whoa! I'll finish this. This money's not the point, Virgil, and you know it. A million dollars is nothing to me. But that belt means everything to me, and you know it. And you know as well as I do that you stole it. It is not your property. Right now it's considered stolen property as far as I'm concerned. And you are going to pay. Letting those grubby little mongrels put their fingers all over my belt, depreciating its value. You're going to pay, Virgil, if I had to out of your hide. I was sitting in LaGuardia Airport, ready to grub down some breakfast. And one lady came to me and said, hey, Virgil, I heard you're a thief. A thief, DiBiase. I have enough right to hear you keep calling me a thief, man. I didn't steal not one thing from you. This belt is mine, homeboy. Only thing I stole from you was your pride when I set you down on your behind. One, two, three. So if you don't like it, man, come on and do something about it. And Virgil getting ready to grub down on some breakfast. And then some old lady come up to him and called him a thief. Virgil ain't no thief. What's wrong with you, bitch? Virgil sounds ready for his upcoming match with the Million Dollar Man. And you might be asking, well, what happened? What happened on November 1st, 1991 in that Thomas and Mack Center, Las Vegas, Nevada? Well, I'll tell you what happened. Ted DiBiase scores the win over Virgil on a countout. Virgil retains the Million Dollar title, but not for long. A few weeks later, DiBiase will regain... And Virgil's career will never be the same again. All right, guys. And what you heard there was the first part of this November 93 episode of The Grenade. I intended to put the entire show out this week. Unfortunately, after I recorded that portion of the show, I received word of a family emergency. My grandmother who raised me uh, got custody of me by the time I uh, started kindergarten. Um, unfortunately, she's not, uh, not, not in good health to begin with. She's about 80 years old and, uh, she reached out of the side door to grab her mail and unfortunately took a, a very bad fall onto her head, onto the concrete porch. Um, she has a, uh, fractured cheekbone, fractured orbital bone. She looks, looks pretty rough and she has bleeding on the brain, which is more serious because she's also on blood thinners. Now, since I made the first part of this recording yesterday, uh, I'm happy to say she's been totally coherent throughout this entire thing, uh, normal conversation to be had with her, but unfortunately, it's still a very serious situation, and they're monitoring it. She's in a trauma center right now. I had, uh, once again, intended to put the entire November show out this week. It's still a possibility. Maybe by the weekend, I can do another part. I'm not really sure how that's going to work out right now, um, but I'm hoping for the best. I uh, ask for your thoughts and prayers while she's uh, recovering in the hospital. 
obviously, uh, for the next few days, it's uh, safe to say I'm going to be dividing my time between my family here and visiting my grandmother at the hospital. So I won't have the time that I typically have in a week to record the show. However, as long as everything works out, I do plan to finish up this episode, this November of 1993 episode, and our next episode of The Grenade, which I will have out sometime in the middle of next week because I plan to try to stay on pace with the shows if I can, because we have the Survivor Series 93 watch-along scheduled for next week. I really wanted to get the December show out to you before WrestleMania weekend so that we can start our new voyage on our new project here on the Wrestling Memory Grenade following WrestleMania 38. Now, all of that said, obviously, this really all comes down to what happens with the ongoing situation here. But um, presuming everything turns out okay and uh, things do shape up and um, she returns home as they predict is a possibility within the next 48 hours, unfortunately, uh, should everything work out, I still have um, my wedding anniversary to deal with this weekend. So it's a pretty busy week, needless to say, right now in my life. Once again, I do apologize. I've always tried to bring you guys as much content as I can every week, especially in the last several weeks. So maybe use this week, the short show to catch up. But I do appreciate you guys sticking with me and listening to this episode of the Wrestling Memory Grenade. And I will be back again very soon with the next chapter in November of 1993. It's going to be all about the first three weeks of television, TV reviews, the first three weeks, all of the November WWF TV heading into the Survivor Series. And once again, that will include the Survivor Series showdown. And let me just make it clear one more time to you guys, for those who may be a little confused as to what's going on here. I'm ending the show now. We covered all of the news and notes here in the WWF November 1993. We covered the USWA versus WWF War of November of 93. And we we even got in our Virgil of the Week. I was all set to record the TV review portion of the show today. And unfortunately, that's just not going to be. But do stay tuned. Stay tuned to my social media accounts on Twitter at Wrestling Grenade or Facebook.com slash Wrestling Grenade. Once the next show is out, I'll promote it immediately. In the meantime, go to your favorite podcast streaming apps and subscribe to the show so that you'll know when the next episode, episode 53, drops. Again, that'll be all about all of the TV leading into the Survivor Series pay-per-view. That should be out, I would have to guess, sometime early to mid next week. And also next week, I still plan, yes, for the Survivor Series watch-along episode here in 1993. So for the time being, this is Ray Russell saying from pillar to post and coast to coast, you pull the pin and we'll pick up the pieces right here on the Wrestling Memory Grenade. I'll be talking to you guys again real soon, so don't miss it. And of course, be there. I was sitting in LaGuardia Airport, ready to grub down some breakfast. And one lady came up to me and said, hey, Virgil, I heard you're a thief. A thief, DiBiase. I have enough right to hear you keep calling me a thief, man. I didn't steal not one thing from you. This belt is mine, homeboy.